Hello, Geeky On listeners. Thank you for tuning in to yet another Geeky On podcast. Uh, this week we are without the delightful Jenny Mac, uh, but you get to enjoy an hour of Tom and I talking about, uh, you know, some geeky stuff that we thought was kind of interesting this week. Um, but look forward to Jenny being back soon uh, as it's a temporary setback as she's away working uh, on a film of some kind that seems pretty cool. Anyway, hopefully we can get more info about it uh, from her when she gets back. And then you can look forward to more Quantum Corner. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Finally, doing another geeky hunt podcast again after what three weeks? I think it's, it's longer. probably a I month. It's more than it's a probably month. a month, which is unfortunate. But it just—it was one of those months where it wasn't even that we were all busy all the time. It's that we were all busy at different times, and, and yeah, the scheduling just didn't work out. Yeah, and and, uh, and it's still not fully sorted out, unfortunately, which is why uh, our fearless co-host Jenny Mac is not with us today. Um, so to all of our listeners that were looking forward to hearing her take and basically her basically making fun of us, you know, for being complete nerds, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're SOL, sorry. Uh, so that being said, we do have a message from her for, uh, all you guys out there to, you know, as a, I guess an explanation or, or apology. So I'm going to play that for you guys now. I can't be there this week, but please enjoy Tom and Eric talking about the nerdiest things and probably a lot of Game of Thrones. That also means that Quantum Corner will not be airing this week because they're not allowed to talk about it without me. So, we'll see you next week, and uh, keep on geeking. Bye from Jenny. Okay. All right, so so uh, you're back now with I'm Tom, and this is Eric on the Geeky On podcast, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we are not going to talk Game of Thrones this week. No, actually. Um, we're going to punt that to next week. Yeah. Or whenever we actually next record. Hopefully it's less than a week. I yeah, hopefully we do it uh, within... Well, I'd say next week, yeah. Yeah, at some point. Uh, anyway. But we, what we want to do, yeah, is uh, we're going to do sort of a recap uh, based on our predictions at the start of the season uh, and check in and see where we're at compared to what we had originally thought. And um, maybe make some predictions for the finale. Who knows? Yeah, because we'll be coming up on the run-in. There will be, yeah. probably when we record, there will be two episodes left in the yeah. season. We're getting down to it. So, it's lots a, to talk about. Yeah. Lots it's, to talk about. I always feel like the, the season's going to be longer than it is, but it's it's only ten it's episodes, only ten. right? It's yeah, just, it's ten. so fast. It, it hurts. You want it to go on. Um, hurts but, so good. Uh, in light of it just being the two of us, we're like like Jenny had very clearly stated. We're not going to talk about Quantum Corner. Um, we're afraid of what she might do if we do, uh, and we're going to just talk about uh, a couple of other things that I guess are more Tom and I's wheelhouse. Um, you know that we don't have to worry about completely alienating Jenny, just having Jenny looking bored in the other chair. Exactly. Um, so let's yeah, I wish that I had been up to some more interesting stuff. I don't really have any interesting stories other yeah. than what might interest you, and it's a little bit geeky uh, insofar as geeking out about something specific, but I, I, my coffee grinder broke. Yeah. So I, I ordered a new one, and while I was doing that, I decided that I would also get uh, one of the arrow presses. Right, which I've been meaning to get forever. Yeah, well, you're the one who turned me on to it. And an AeroPress is by the guy who made the Aerobi. Yeah, it's the person that, that made phone? the Frisbee, actually. Yeah. Uh, which is such a weird thing that this inventor does, like, two different things that are very disparate. I think the only, the only thing that is, like, they have in common is that they both are made of plastic, I guess. Uh, but really, uh, yeah. very, very different ideas. Yeah, and it's it's a $30 thing that you put on top of your mug and you pour some hot water in and then there's kind of a vacuum seal on it. Yeah. Uh, sort of for making single 
cups of coffee. Yeah, it's like kind of a yeah, it's a single single cup coffee maker. It's almost like an inverse French press. Yeah. Like you yeah, that's right. It's like a combination between a French press and uh and a, like a pour over where you basically kind of plunger the coffee down like into your mug making what is by many considered to be the best cup of coffee. It was pretty good. I had I had only the one uh cup with it and I actually didn't measure at all. I oh, yeah. I later read the instructions and I put in more water than I should have. But uh-huh. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. So I thought you might, you know, like to know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll definitely be picking one up, especially because they're like forty bucks. It's a really cheap like coffee making option, yeah. and it's super like it's super portable and it's easy to clean. Like it's they're pretty great for especially if you just if you want to make a coffee somewhere where. You know, you don't like if you just want to take something with you to make a coffee. It's pretty portable, which is nice. I want to have one at the studio. That was my whole thinking because all yeah. they do there, all they drink there is tea uh, at the studio I'm at, which is great. I love tea, but sometimes I want a coffee. You get, you get over tea, yeah. Because exactly. I because I did, I didn't have this grinder. I think it might have been the AeroPress that delayed my shipment on this grinder. Oh, um, so I didn't have a grinder for like two weeks, and I don't want to buy pre ground. Come on. Yeah, we talked about this. I think you're a complete snob. About I, that, I was a snob, but I was in too deep. <laughs> by the time I was about four days into it, I was like, "Well, I can't, I can't give in now and go buy some Maxwell House." Like this, you are a man that lives like a ten minute walk from a place that roasts their own coffee beans in okay. house, and they'll grind it for you on the spot, and that's still not good enough for you. No, but the because the they is sitting around ground for like a week. It was from them that I ordered yeah. the stuff. So, I don't know, I had this thing where I didn't want to go in and and <laughs> get like the coffee out. when I had ground or I had coffee beans at home and like they just weren't giving me the ability to anyway. Um, <laughs> this is obviously way too But yeah, so I was drinking a lot of tea and yeah. you know, I just got over tea. I, yeah. I was a little over it. I think that's fair. I mean, tea is it's great. It's a lovely beverage, but you know, especially if it's because it was just, like it was just the Tetley bags. It yeah. was it was like the Maxwell House pre ground equivalent of tea. <laughs> yes. It wasn't nice. Yeah, it wasn't you know like Bourgeois high quality. Tea. Yeah, <laughs> some pretentious tea. Yeah, which there is much of. Oh, absolutely. There's absolutely. lots of options for pretentious tea. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's good. So you did get your grinder? I did. So, yeah, today I, I uh, ground up some beans. And you, you had a co- an AeroPress an coffee AeroPress for the coffee. first time. It's pretty good. It, it's pretty it cool. cleans itself really well. If you're in... Yeah. Because I, I, I can't get behind the Keurig machine. Oh, God. I, I'm not cool with... There's it. just too much garbage. Yeah, any... Well, yeah, there's that. I also just find that the coffee's not very good because you can't buy good quality coffee from, from them. Or, like, it's all very big coffee... Uh, you know, distributors and stuff like that. You're not getting necessarily like, you know, just a good like cup a micro. of coffee. Like, well, it's like micro. I just like, I find that I like getting stuff that's like uh, from roasteries and stuff that's kind of local because it's, it's fresh coffee. And that's, I think, the biggest thing to me. I, I just like, you notice when it's like a fresh cup of coffee, right? Or like yeah. it's fresh beans. But the one thing I do like about the Keurig slash Tassimo, I don't know what the difference is exactly. Oh, it is good to have the one of... cup because I yeah. had no, I had like you don't want to make drip coffee in the in the big thing. With oh little, yeah, because like, then you have to go through a whole filter and everything. Yeah, no, that's um, true. I, I use a pour over, and but you're still using the filter every time. And yeah, it's okay. But so the AeroPress is good for that. It, it is kind of great. It's nice, freshly ground coffee, single cup, really easy yeah. to clean. <laughs> Enough about the coffee. Yeah, all so, right. Yeah. Moving on from coffee. So. I was going to watch Mad Max, I guess. That was, yeah, that um, was on your agenda. But, like a child, I <laughs> somehow ended up with an ear infection. So I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't go to the theater. I couldn't really hear very well. Yeah. So I, you'd, be, you'd be watching it in mono sound. Right. And uh, <laughs> so I didn't see it, but you did see Mad Max. I did. I saw it the other week, and, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you said you were catching up, right? You were watching the old ones, which I've never watched. Yeah, I actually, I I had seen Mad Max 2 before. I had never seen the first Mad Max, so I yeah. watched Mad Max and Mad Max 2 on yeah. the weekend. Uh, and I couldn't hear very well for the original Mad Max, <laughs> which, it's a surprisingly weird movie, I would say. It Well, it's I mean, strange. it was like a weird, like... Out of nowhere, Australian movie wasn't like I believe it was an Australian yeah, movie. Yeah, right? it was yeah. Australian. Yeah, it's very an Australian low budget. Movie, like low budget indie movie from Australia. 
done in like the 70s. Like, yeah. this is, it was an out there oddball movie. And I think for years, I can't remember what ultimately passed it, but for years it was number one in sort of profit to expense ratio. Really? Wow. Like it made a ton of money considering how, how cheap it was. How cheap it was to make. Yeah, I don't know how, like, I, I'd be curious. I'm sure there are movies that have busted that up since because I know there was, Blair Witch yeah. Project. It was Blair Witch. Par- Paranormal it was Blair Activity. Witch, yeah. Like, there have been some crazy low-budget movies that made stupid amounts of money yeah. since. So, but, yeah. even still, that's impressive. Um, but it's... Because when I think of Mad Max, and I'm assuming based on the trailer of, of the new Mad Max film, it like, when I think of Mad Max, I think of sort of desert wasteland, yes. leather bondage gear, motorcycles, post-apocalypse. Yeah, like, yeah, there's that, like... Um, engine culture or like gas culture right. that right like fostered. extremely scarce gas mm-hmm. but that that isn't really in mad max really no huh. that's mad max 2 really that okay that so what's the difference that, like what what is mad max then? well i think mad max is sort of post-apocalyptic but right. it's there's still society there oh okay. like he mad max is Basically a cop, and they they go around like running people off the road for being jerks, and that's basically okay. the plot of of the first film. Is there's kind of a biker gang who are you know assholes causing a ruckus, and then uh, Max and his cop buddies are kind of trying to uphold the law, and they just they take it into their own hands, I guess, and they just yeah, decide their yeah. own brand of like justice. But, like it's not even Judge Dredd style. It's no. just like. Actually, it's probably, like, less lax than the Cleveland Police. But... Sweet Jesus. Um, yeah, it's it's just odd, because there's still towns, and there... I don't know if that's just the way Australia was in the 1970s. Because, like, there doesn't seem to be... Yeah, it's like... A it just federal power, yeah. Yeah. but it's still kind of... I love hanging the, together. This I culture. love the idea that the the whole like concept of a post apocalyptic wasteland was, was a complete misunderstanding no. of 1970s Australia, like by an American, like by Americans, <laughs> right. which is entirely possible. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I could got bad I could there. buy that. Yeah. but it's it's a very dark movie because essentially, I mean, to kind of spoil it, I feel like the statute of limitations has run yeah. out on 1978. Yeah. Australian like, action films. But, so Max is one of these police guys, and yeah. they kind of arrest a member of this biker gang. And then he gets let go because all the witnesses wouldn't show up because presumably the biker gang either disappeared them or intimidated them to not show up to court. So they, they had a court. Like, they had mm-hmm. a court and lawyers. Okay, wow, yeah. And so, so they, they let him go, and then... The cop's not super happy about that. They get into kind of a tussle. And then the biker gang basically ambush the, this cop. Right. And uh, he gets super burned up. It's not It's not a good scene. And then, so Max basically resigns. And then he, him and his family kind of just go off. Right. Doing their thing. And then basically the biker gang at some point, like, kind of get involved with him and his family. And he... Essentially, it ends in a very dark place. It's why, like, this sounds closer to like the plot of like the Punisher than it yeah, does or like the or like John Wick or something. Yeah, yeah. but like he, yeah, and the, essentially the end of the movie is he rides off into the night in like a a prototype police interceptor car, right? That he borrowed to wreak some havoc, right? Uh, and so it's a very dark film, and then it kind of. Mad Max 2 picks up from there where he's just living kind of on the road. Right. But shit has clearly gone downhill. Yeah, so, like, there's just a complete passage of time that no yeah, one understands. Right. Like, like, it's no clearly, what happens, it's clearly but, years later. Yeah. Now he has a dog. It's like, now like now we're talking about Australia in the 80s, so it's clearly <laughs> bad. Shit got bad. <laughs> but it, it could also be just kind of a different area of the country, because part of the plot of Mad Max 2, it's, it's almost a western in a way, like yeah. kind of a Seven Samurai, almost. Right, right. Where it's, he kind of shows up and there's this sort of small town and just besieged. 
just to be like nitpicky, I like I guess accurately Magnificent Seven because that was the Western version of right. Seven. Yeah, actually, that, <laughs> that would be a way better analogy. Yeah. I'm just like Seven Samurai was not. It was Western. like a Western version of Seven Samurai, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So, so that's essentially, and then so he kind of comes into this community of besieged uh, misfits that are kind of hanging on to each other. Right. And then they're trying to find some other place. They have some other place in Australia in mind to get to. So presumably there's parts of Australia that aren't this crazy. Maybe this is just one province of Australia. I don't know if they have provinces. They do. But anyway. Yeah. That is just especially bad. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so that's essentially what happens in the first two films. But when I feel like the new one and pr- presumably beyond the Thunderdome, which was the third. Yeah. Uh, which I have not seen, but I think that sort of also continues the same uh, feeling and look that Mad Max 2 had as opposed to Mad Max 1. Right. Yeah, because that's interesting to me because I didn't know that about the first one. But, I I mean, one thing that I kind of remarked to myself while watching the, the new Mad Max Fury Road is that, like, that franchise for in a lot of ways really seem to define what like western like what like pop culture and sort of western culture has, has come to have as this idea of the post-apocalyptic wasteland and it was funny because i i saw that and i was watching it, i was thinking about like all the other sort of video games and like movies and stuff like that that yeah like borderlands yeah and and you know like fallout and uh i'm just trying to think of some other like there's there's tons of stuff that's basically borrowed from that kind of water world was in a lot of ways, just like the water version of Mad Max. Like there's all of these like, you know, pop culture things that have used the same kind of concepts. And I didn't realize that, that the first movie really didn't actually define that. No. Yeah. So I guess it wasn't until the second one and potentially return to Thunderdome, which neither one of us can really, but like, it can't was the Thunderdome in Mad Max too? There was no Thunderdome. So it's it's a sen- it's just a desert wasteland. Okay. With this sort of bunch of shacks in the middle of it. So I guess the across. Thunderdome is only in Return to Thunderdome, which is confusing. It's beyond the Thunderdome. Oh, beyond the so Thunderdome. So presumably they reach some sort of Thunderdome and then, and then continue past it. Cuz I I only know of like the Thunderdome basically through my understanding of it through pop culture, which is that the whole like two men enter one man leaves. Yeah. Like, so yeah, it's it's funny that that's the it, first five it, minutes of the movie. They go beyond that. They yeah, well, the, the title dictates yeah, but it's just it's funny because there's that that's an insane escalation of that of whatever's going on. <laughs> Shit went downhill. <laughs> yeah, the eighties in Australia were a tough time. That's crazy. So how does this a new film Fury Road? How does that? fit in do you know is this sort of a reboot is this a continuation well the it's the movie starts off with mad max basically being completely on his own like living what what we can assume is a very nomadic lifestyle right. it's basically him and his car uh in the desert and that's about all we know about him uh which is one of the cool one of the most interesting parts about the movie is that he's really not like despite that him being the namesake He's really not the protagonist. He's really more the uh, the vehicle. Like he's kind of the eyes of the audience. Like he's like you're really going along for the ride with him, mm-hmm. but he's just he's a part of someone else's story. And that someone else being um, Charlize Theron, which is uh, Imperator Furiosa, uh, who she's fucking awesome. Man. Like she she knocks it out of the park with that role. Um, but basically, he's just like he's. They, they establish he's got a backstory that he's let some people, he's left people behind and he's like let people down. There's definitely a theme of uh, atonement and, uh, and like making, like, or trying to make good. Uh, there's frequently like he's, he kind of has PTSD. Um, so like there's frequently points in the story where he's getting like weird flashbacks and like kind of schizophrenic like breaks from reality and he's seeing a little boy yeah. that's, like, you know, talking to him. And, and, yeah, it seems to suggest that he let, like, a, right. like there was a little boy, probably his kid, yeah. that died. That would 
spoilers, <laughs> that would fit if that was following the original Mad Max. Well, then there you go. So, so clearly, I mean, it's the same Max then. Yeah. Um, but I guess, again, shit got really bad. Because <laughs> in the context of the new movie, like, we're talking full-on society is crumbled. Right. Like, like he gets, he, like, right off the, the top, without getting too spoilery, uh, he gets, he like, he f- encounters, uh, like, basically a, like, a warlike society right off the bat. Yeah. And they're, you know, like, and, and they're super, uh, like, and, like, they basically have uh, a lot of, like, they, their sort of ideology seems to be a weird, like, greaser version of, like, Nordic, like, religion. Because they talk about Valhalla and, and, you know, like, that kind of shit. Huh. Um, but they also talk about, you know, being shiny and chrome. So, do they, uh... I'm just gonna ask. Does anyone wear assless chaps? No. Cause, not that I can recall. Because that, that was a thing in Mad Max 2. If they wore assless chaps, they had something underneath. Because I would have r- remarked at the fact that they had their asses hanging out. But, uh, yeah, no. So society is still a little bit more together in Fury Road. Yeah. Than in that Apparently. Movie. Wow. A little bit more decorum. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's clearly full-on post-apocalypse, end-of-the-world type shit. Yeah. The whole idea being, like, that there's a very limited amount of gas, it's a high-value commodity... Um, also water is rationed and very, you know, in very like scarce, uh, supply, uh, and just general like greenery. Yeah. So it was cool because watching that, I just, I really, the one thing that I really thought about is the fact that, um, that idea, the idea of like the, the, um, post-apocalyptic wasteland desert kind of like that's kind of become like a modern mythology. It's, it's kind of when, cause when you think about fantasy uh, and sword and sorcery, it's basically the kind of mythology that was invented from a different time uh, where that was the outlandish thing that you could think of. But when you really think about it, like these are the, these are like sort of the extensions on reality that say someone that, you know, during the dark ages would have had, Similar to, like, someone fucking, like, you know, slaying dragons and stuff like that. Instead, we extend our own sort of mythology to having... chaps. Having crazy, like, mega cars and rocking out with a flamethrower guitar on top of a giant, like, speaker-like truck. You know, like, it's just insanity. It's... But it's like, it's like a modern fantasy. It's similar to something like heavy metal... Uh, right. the, you know, like the, the anthologies and stuff like that, that weird, crazy, like, oh, like, I, and you see, like, yeah, it's, it's just got that kind of vibe of machinery and stuff like that replacing kind of the, the, the themes and, and concepts of fantasy. So was there a lot of car chases? It's all car chases. Yes. <laughs> like, essentially, that whole movie is is a chase, like, which yeah. is pretty cool. Because they, they did... That was something that still holds up really, really well. I would say um, Mad Max holds up pretty well considering its budget. I think Mad Max 2 was probably a much better film in, in my perspective. But I think it holds up really well. It's still a really good film. I think Mad Max 2 is widely considered to be, like, the... The real classic of the yeah. of the series. Although I am curious about the first one now, just as a piece of like indie filmmaking, you know, like it just does sound like it sounds like a really like plucky, you know, kind of movie. Yeah, it's worth a watch. It, it is surprisingly weird. It's a lot weirder than, than I thought it would be. I believe it. But uh, yeah, it's. I think that it's it's funny. There's a couple of things actually in light of it coming out that uh, I thought were interesting. Um, one, uh, it actually came in second in the box office, uh, during opening weekend to Pitch Perfect 2, which, uh, is an interesting thing, but I think there's a couple of factors that, that need to be considered about that. One thing, it's an R-rated movie. Pitch Perfect 2? No. No. Uh, Mad Max. <laughs> they, they've all got assless chaps? Yeah, it's just all, <laughs> nothing but assless chaps. Especially Rebel Wilson. Um, <laughs> but, no, uh... 
Mad Max Fury Road is an R-rated movie, so right. right off the bat, they're limiting a huge chunk of their audience. And and it's funny, if you think about big budget movies that come out today that are rated R, like you're not gonna it think of happen many. that much. No. They're they're generally shooting for PG or maybe PG thirteen. I think PG thirteen's probably the sweet spot, like for most like that's like your Avengers and Transformers and all that shit. Uh because it's just like it it's the the younger audience is a big part of the money, right? So I think a a big thing about that is that they they cut off a big slice of the pie, you know, by right. by the rating that they went with. And it's funny when I think about it, it's not the most inte- like as an R-rated movie, it's really not that bad. You know, like in terms of the violence. Yeah, like it's not gratuitous. It, like I've seen like I I think that there's definitely much worse out there at that same rating. Like it's pretty borderline. I think you could almost say it's I think they probably could have got down to a PG thirteen if they really wanted to, but I think it was just a they just didn't want compromises, my yeah. guess. And I applaud them for that. I think ultimately it's a great movie, so there you go. But um the other thing that was a big big like sort of I guess news headline about that movie is that um People, there were some people that were very upset that it was supposedly a very feminist movie. Yeah, the the men's rights guy. Apparently, yeah, like people were, you know, well, there were some men's rights people that were saying like, yeah. you know, don't see this movie. It's like feminist propaganda and yeah, man-hating. Well, from what I, because I read into that controversy a little bit, and from what I can gather, it was essentially one dude. Really? Who wrote a blog post on what I believe is a men's rights blog. I don't know if it's Return his specific. Kings, I believe, yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, is... But he hadn't seen the movie. No. It, I mean, it, it was just an absurd viewpoint. Yep. And I, I'm not surprised that people latch to it because it's it's a great sort of... Um, I think for people that that want to speak out against it, it's it's great to... It's like a great thing to say, like... Look at these men complaining about this awesome movie, you know, like, how big a baby can you be? Yeah. Which is true. I don't know how many people were actually speaking out against it. The box office seems to suggest that people yeah. were pretty happy. From to what see I can gather, it it really wasn't a backlash against it. It was really more that this guy said something silly. Yeah. And a lot of people jumped on it. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah As opposed to there being kind of a groundswell of men's rights People, people kind of like boycotting yeah. <laughs> Well, which is good because I think that it would be a damn shame if people like if their takeaway was like I can't see this movie because it's like feminist propaganda because uh, that's dumb uh, first and secondly they'd just be depriving themselves of seeing a very very cool movie. So I wouldn't say it was feminist. That being said, it does have a lot of female uh, like empowered female characters. Like, a lot of the main characters are women. And it's a fucking great thing because you, they did that, and yet there was no problem. Like, like, like for me, it never, stu- it never stuck out in my head that I was like, well, I mean, and that being said, I was aware of the controversy, so in the back of my head I wondered about it. But, like, it never stuck out as being, like, stilted or off, like, it, that it... You know, like, it seemed like it was just kind of leveraged in there. Like, yeah, right. it just, it's just, it flows like it any made, other movie. It made sense for the movie. It made, like, it felt completely right in the world it was in. It just worked. It worked really well. Um, similarly, some very, like, sort of, like, hardline feminist people have condemned the notion that it's a feminist movie. Uh, which, to which I say, like, fucking give me a break. Because uh, it's just, like... I mean, because the argument being that it's incredibly violent and, you know, like that's, you know, I guess, uh, advocating for generally masculine ideals of Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's just the way Australia was in the 1980s. Like, it's, <laughs> it was tough. It was yeah, a tough time. It, that's it. It's a violent place. But, uh, yeah, I guess, like, in, like, to sum it up, it really is a great movie that, that it's refreshing. It's, it's a very different movie. And one of the reasons I was kind of happy that we were going to talk about it on the podcast is I knew I didn't have to worry too much about spoiling it because plot points really aren't why you watch that movie. Like that's, yeah. it's not a great movie because of like the, the direct, like the thrust of the plot. It's great because it's 
like the the energy of it is fantastic. Like it stays, it stays, uh, like the it keeps the momentum throughout the whole movie uh, remarkably well. The character, like the performances, are fantastic. Visually, it's stunning, and uh, it's just a fun movie. Like it's it just really works on the basic levels that an action movie should, which was really great. But yeah. Uh, let's, let's move on from that, I guess, and, uh, let's talk a little bit about some video game stuff. Woo! All right. Because we can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing that I figure we should talk about, because it's a big thing for you these days, is, uh, esports. You've been, you've been big on watching, uh, StarCraft. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the first, kind of, possibly the first rebooted Geeky on podcast that we did. Yeah. This yeah, yeah. Season? Are we calling this a season? We'll go with that. Sure. Okay, so it was earlier this season I kind of, uh, what was I doing? I, I just started watching StarCraft 2, I guess, is what it was. Yeah. But so I, I, I've continued watching StarCraft in the background and really kind of going back through the backlog of tournaments and, uh, and trying to play it myself. So I guess the first thing that I'll, I'll say is that I have tried playing sort of ladder matches, which is really... It's really hard and oh, yeah. really demoralizing when you lose, and especially when you're just not very good like myself. But it's kind of frustrating watching the videos, and I and I understand the strategies that they're doing, and I right. understand but how to counter things and yeah. how I should open games. But just executing it is incredibly difficult. Sure, it's very very hard. And um, I mean, the, oh shit! I understand how to like. You know, like how to throw a slider in baseball doesn't mean I can execute You're not it. Do because it at a high like, level. I can't. Yeah, at, at best, I might make the ball move a little bit, and maybe I'll get around the strike zone. And it'll probably go, you know, like cross the plate at like fifty, you know, yeah. like miles an hour. Yeah. But uh, you know, like that's the thing, uh, which was a big part of what I wanted to discuss about this, which is that at a high level. These people are doing things that physically you just can't do without incredible amounts of practice. No, like they're averaging probably well over 200 actions per minute. So every time you click the mouse or hit a key or, or order someone to go somewhere, one of your units to go somewhere, yeah, one of your buildings to an, build something, that's an action. And they're averaging well over 200 actions per minute. But I, I average about 30 in my career so far. I'm not very good and i would say that compared to other people at my level who i'm approximately as good at i have way lower action per minute than most people but so these guys are often over 300 and when they're under attack sometimes when you're watching the streams of uh of them playing it'll actually display sort of their last two minutes yeah. or their last 30 seconds action per minute and they spike over 400 actions per minute that's insane it's, it's insane like just the actual physical act of telling every one of your units what to do is extremely difficult. Um, yeah, and that's... So I actually learned later that that's kind of a problem that StarCraft Two has been having. It Because when I think of esports, maybe I'm kind of more old school, but back when esports was kind of first becoming a thing, uh, StarCraft Brood War was, was possibly the, the biggest. I'm assuming it was the biggest. It was the first one that I really ever oh, yeah, was yeah. aware of. Uh, so StarCraft Two is kind of the follow-up to Brood War. I guess so, yeah. But well, it's, yeah. it's really not... It's popular, but it's sort of a small, dedicated viewership. Stuff like League of Legends, I think, is the number one by quite a distance. Yeah, it's and huge. And then Counter-Strike is another big one. Yeah. Counter-Strike Go. I imagine... Uh, I'm wondering if uh, Dota, uh, Dawn of the Ancients or whatever, I think is yeah, I'm not, a pretty big number. I'm assuming it's pretty big. I think yeah. that League of Legends is the biggest of yeah. those... Uh, MOBA? Yeah, yeah, that's what they're called. Um, what is that? Multi-online battle arena? <laughs> yeah, something, <laughs> something like, that. like that. There's a word that we know. Yeah. I know that like it's it's an arena like Dawn of the Dawn of the Ancients 2 or whatever is basically Valve's sort of foray into it. League of Legends is definitely they're on top of it. Yeah, and, and then now now Blizzard, Blizzard is entering that arena, it, yeah, arena with, with uh, Heroes of the Storm. That's right. Which eh, whatever. I don't know. I've tried to get into those kinds of games. And it really is the kind of thing that you have to play it like sport. It's yeah. you really have to make it a big commitment uh, and something that you take really seriously, which is why 
fuck that. There's no way I'm going to do it. But, yeah, I would say that <laughs> those games, sort of the League of Legends, uh, Dota 2, Heroes of the Storm, they're all fundamentally pretty similar. And just to kind of explain how they work on a broad yeah. level, each team, you've got teams of, I think, five like players. Five, yeah, yeah. And you each have a base. And the objective essentially is to destroy each other's base. Except right. you're each controlling sort of one hero character. Yeah. And there are three paths to get to each other's base. They call these lanes. And so that creates a fundamental mismatch, right? Because yeah, if you've you're got gonna five have players, some, yeah. you're, you're trying to jockey for position and basically outnumber the in, other team in, in one of those lane. lanes. Yeah. And then once you get down the lane, you can start smashing up buildings and then you kind of break through the defenses and there's a push and pull kind of going on. Of course. But it's very much simplified compared to something like StarCraft II, which is a very, very, very deep game, both in terms of just the gameplay mechanics and the strategy. Yeah. So I, I, was, I tried watching some of the esports for League of Legends as well, and I personally just didn't find it as interesting. Yeah. But it's much more popular the, for probably exactly the same reason that I found it less interesting, which is that it's, it's more accessible. much more accessible to yeah. play. It's easier to understand how it works, whereas StarCraft II is just so complicated. Yeah, and I imagine, like, I mean, playing it is complicated, but then when you're watching people that are playing on a level that is just far beyond what you're capable of doing, it's even more complicated. And because you're not, you're not doing it, you yeah. have to follow along, which is just that right. much, yeah. It's there's a lot to to definitely unpack when you're watching something yeah. like that. Oh yeah. But uh yeah, it's it's interesting because I think um it's kind of becoming more clear that there's there's a level to this that's truly impressive that is like it's you know, there there's a real competitive element that's uh professional, you know. And Absolutely. it's it's been a professional uh like it's been a profession for a while, I mean, it's funny. There are there are esports like gamers that are making pretty decent livings off of just competing. Um, but one of the things that obviously is is, I guess, the biggest sort of one of the bigger obstacles of this reaching the mainstream is uh, coverage. Right? It's broadcasting. It's it's getting it onto like on people's screens. Now, I imagine for something like um, League of Legends or StarCraft, I mean, there's there are services like Twitch. I don't know how useful something like that is for this, but like, how, um, how do you watch these things? That's a big question. The I first started watching it in um, it was one of the championship events in Poland. It was whenever it was like a few right. months ago, and I can't. I think that was streamed from Blizzard. Maybe it, there was a link on the Battle.net page. I think was how I how I got to that. There ha there are other tournaments that I've tried to watch live since then that were on Twitch. Right. Um, and then basically ESL, they upload pretty much everything to YouTube pretty quickly. Okay. So you're um, basically just watching, you're watching recordings rather than like the live events. Yeah. So I have not actually watched anything live since the first time we talked about this. Right. But I've kind of gone through older tournaments and sort of followed kind of the next day. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting because it's like, it, there's no reason why that's not a completely viable way to do things, but... Similar to how you know, no one wants to watch the the you know the baseball game the next day. Right. It's like you kind of wonder if there is a sense of you know watching the the sport while it's happening. You know, as an appeal. Yeah. You know, uh, because you kind of think that like you know if if there's a team that you support or whatever, then there's got to be an element to that. And that's an, I guess that's an interesting element of this, which is that you know is it is it really about cheering on like. Uh, a team or a player, or is it just about love of the actual game itself that you watch? Yeah, well, I think that there are definitely people that support sort of the the race they call them because there's the three races, right? Terra right. Protoss, or of course, yeah. There are people that just kind of support Zerg. Like if you play Zerg or you just like Zerg, there's people that just will cheer kind of a Zerg player. But there's definitely people that are favorites as well. Right. That have kind of been doing this for a long time or are just so good. Because the, they're the people that are at the very top, like the top sort of two, three guys, are a, kind of a next level better than anyone else right now. They can just do things that even the other top pro yeah. StarCraft 2 guys can't do. Well, it's funny. Like, uh, it's the only other sort of com 
top level competitive video gaming that I really knew about, like historically, has been uh, fighting games. Right. Predict- particularly Street Fighter has always been sort of the pinnacle of fighting game competition. And similarly, there was, uh, I know at least this one guy, I think it was uh, Dago, uh, this guy was like on top of the tournaments for forever. And yeah, there are just like, there are those gamers that are just kind of a cut above everyone yeah. else, right? So I guess similarly with, say, StarCraft, they're just top-level people. I assume many of which come from Korea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, as I understand it, there's essentially a Korean league, which is kind of the top league. And then yeah. they have the World Championship Series, WCS. As I understand it, is essentially just everybody that isn't in Korea. Yeah, it's all the not Korea. Right, and they cut. They <laughs> so basically, the top players are all Korean. Yeah, and then anyone who isn't Korean in the StarCraft Two lingo is generally referred to as a foreigner. Wow! So, like, if you're not Korean, you're a foreigner. Yeah. Regardless of where the tournament's being played. It's funny. I, I keep going back to baseball analogies, but it's similar to how there's like you know there's the you know there's MLB and the World Series, which is not the world, it and then there's MLB kind of everywhere else. You yeah. know, like for baseball in the world. Uh, and there is the there is the what's called the World Baseball Classic now, which right. But that also is with Mike Piazza play. playing for Italy. Yeah, back when he was playing. But yes, right. Yeah, you always get weird American players playing for countries that I guess they've got some lineage to. But anyway, to to sort of get back on about the the StarCraft stuff. So you were saying with the um, with WCS was it? Yeah, yeah. You said that they're actually coming to Toronto soon, right? They are. They are. Which is, I mean, that's kind of cool. Uh, the basically my only sort of brush with competitive online gaming that I've seen, you know, live was uh, Fan Expo. I know they had some they had some tournaments there. I don't even know if it was at a particularly high competitive level, but it was a big deal. I, like at Fan Expo of this past year, Intel had a huge like section of the convention. There was a there were a lot of computers set up. It looked like it, it was yeah, a that, thing. that actually could have been StarCraft too because they did play. IEM is Intel Extreme Masters. Is I I can't I don't know yeah. if that's related to WCS or not, but they did have a tournament in Toronto last year. And that probably was Fan Expo, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. but it, that was such a success that that's in this in this tournament that I've been watching this week, they they can't stop talking about Toronto because like these wow. guys are they're basically playing qualifiers right now so that they can go to Toronto wow. and everybody wants to play. That's why here because the crowd apparently is just next level for StarCraft 2. Which is pretty cool to think. I mean, uh, you kind of wonder, like, what would make a, a, you know, sort of a crowd be good for a video game atmosphere, but, you know, it's it's like anything. If if everyone's following along and they're excited about what's going on, just hearing just everyone there cheering... is infectious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can turn on, like, you can look at, watch, watch, like, sport, uh, like, Sportsnet during the day, and you'll watch like dart competitions, and I swear to God, I've never seen more rabid fans. Darts probably <laughs> is the most rabid fan base <laughs> yeah. in the world, and it's like it's insane. I'm sure that the people at the back cannot see what like what no where chance. they're landing on the board. No chance. But but they don't care. They're losing their minds. <laughs> the other thing, they hear a number called out, and then they flip their shit. The it's thing insane. that I think is most endearing about darts is. They've kind of got this kind of, you know, it's 1v1. It's just one guy playing another guy in darts. And so they've kind of got this boxing element to it. Oh, yeah. So when they start the match, they kind of, they'll come out. I don't think they have an entourage at this point. They're not not wearing hoodies or (laughs) robes. They don't have a big, like, yeah, robe. But but they kind of walk out from the back through the crowd with their music and everything. (laughs) But anyway, the thing that's most endearing about it is these are not arenas most of them that they're playing in they're just a, sort of some sort of venue yeah <laughs> there is no backstage back there <laughs> they just are standing at the back of a room and they're just waiting and then to the get camera and then the camera's on them and they're like okay go <laughs> so then they start walking forward that's wonderful. it's delightful that's awesome and i i love that they are drinking while they're playing oh absolutely like there's there's absolutely no sense of genuine like professional sportsmanship in even at the top level of darts you're still getting pissed up you've, while yeah. you're while you're trying to compete at the you've, highest level. You've got a base coat of lager. <laughs> yeah. 
at all times. You can't play. Yeah, exactly. It loses you up. It loses you up. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) There is there is also the possibility that some of these guys, if they didn't have a beer in them, they might actually be trembling. So, (laughs) but that's a that's a dark thought. Um, But one of the things that I mean, talking about how how like there are these crowds and there's this high level of competition in these esports. Um, there is a lot of pushback in the sort of professional sports coverage community to the idea of broadcasting esports. Um, actually, pretty recently, I think it was last month, uh, there was a ESPN, I, I guess, broadcaster or anchor, uh, Cal, uh, sorry, Colin Cowherd. Cowherd? Yeah, like cow, C-O-W-H-E-R-D, so Cowherd, maybe it's Coward? Coward? Maybe he's a maybe he's a coward. Yeah. Coward. Yeah. Food for thought. Anyway, uh, he basically went on air, um, kind of because they they actually aired on ESPN two maybe, but they they cut in um, for a bit there to show a tournament of Heroes of the Storm actually, um, and it was yeah it was televised on TS uh, on ESPN two. Um, and that's actually the first time that it's received extended air uh, airtime on an ESPN channel of any kind. So it was big news, right? Undoubtedly bought with a lot of money from Blizzard too, because I mean, like the, I know they're really pushing to sort of get that that game sort of build an audience for it. Um, but one of the big things about that was that uh, he basically spoke out after this had t- taken place. And kind of slammed, like, he, he blasted the network for doing it and kind of just went on a rant about, like, how, uh, you know, like, these are all, like, nerds in their basements and how, uh, you know, like, this isn't a real sport. And, you know, like, just generally, like, saying that this was a travesty. You know, this being a network that plays professional poker uh, as well as bowling and, you know, like... Yeah, there's been bowling for a long time. Yeah, like just on ESPN. all levels of questionable sporting activity. Yeah, and we kind of got into this the first time we talked about this. We, yeah. we actually got into this, is what exactly is a sport? How do you define it? And I, I think at the time, essentially, I wasn't really that interested in defining, you know, if an e-sport is a sport or not. But I did find that I consume it personally... I consume it in very much the same way that I do consume a sport. Yeah. Because, I mean, as we talked about at the time, as we talked about now, I'm just not very good at it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I understand the strategies. I can't really play it in that way. But I appreciate the players that can. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I I love to play a pickup game of soccer, too. That being said, I don't want to join a rep league and, and like, try and compete with, you know, the best players in my sort of group. Because I don't really want to get my ass handed to me, you know, like, and which is basically what StarCraft ladder matches are. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very demoralizing. Yeah, which is why I'm not going to be that guy that goes, starts playing ladder matches. I applaud the people that do because, you know, it's, it's a genuine, like, it's a, it's a skill. Like, to be good at that game is something that you have to practice and do. And good on you if you want to do it. I don't. But, you know, I think that that's cool if that's a thing that people want to do. But um, I just think it's really interesting. I, I think it's weird that there's this kind of antagonism. Um, yeah. I mean, it's different, right? Like, I yeah. mean, I, I, I actually felt kind of the same way about poker at the time. Like, sure. not not as strongly, obviously. And I wasn't working for ESPN at the yeah. time. But I was kind of like, well, why is, why is this on TV? And then there's also a debate... A lot of people always debating, like, should golf be in the Olympics? It's like, is golf a sport? Right, yeah. But, like, I think what it comes down to is there probably is a market yeah. for people that want to watch it. I would like to watch it. And that's, I, I think that's ultimately the bigger question, and right? Whether it's or like, not you put it on one of the ESPN channels, one ESPN 1 through 37 or whatever they have, mm-hmm. or I think the score in Canada is, has been uh, certainly expanding its web coverage. I don't know if they put anything on actual live TV. But yeah, I, sure I don't know if you put it on a sports channel or you put it on something else. I don't really care. But I, I feel like I would give it a shot. There's people yeah. out there that would like to watch it. And if there's a market there, then sure. why not serve it? And I, I'd be curious to know the actual numbers for an actual for like a market. Because um, given our demographic and those younger than us, which 
you know, they're very much, there's a good amount of people that are, uh, that are, and that are very much into esports and, and that kind of thing. Um, like, we're kind of a cable cutting generation. So there's, yeah. like, there, you know, it'd be interesting to see how many of the people that, like, how many people that actually really, uh, like, rapidly, like, follow these things or are very enthusiastic uh, fans. Um, how many even have cable? How many would want to see it on cable? Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's not to that's say... That's a good question. But that's not to say that there can't be more coverage in general. No. Like, I, I think that if, if what you're saying is is someone that likes it and wants to watch it, you find yourself more often than not watching, like, older YouTube streams? Like, like, yeah, a, like, a, a, I, like an older YouTube uh, video of it? Yeah. That tells me that it's underserved. Like, after the fact. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, it, should be, it should be a thing where if you want to be watching a live event... You should be able to do that without any trouble. It should be like you should already know where you want to go, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I guess for the sense of uh, sensationalism, I do kind of want to read a, a quote of what he said. Yeah, I'll have about uh, it because I just think it, it's very telling of uh, yeah of, of just the I think misconceptions. So um, it, initially, he goes, he says like. Uh, Here's what's going to get me off the air. If I have to, uh, if I have to be forced to cover guys playing video games, I'll remove. Uh, sorry, I will retire and move to a rural fishing village and sell bait. You want me out? Demand video game tournaments on ESPN because that's what appeared on ESPN two yesterday. So uh, he went on to say, uh, in regards to sort of mocking the event, uh, somebody locked the basement door on mom's house and don't let him out. I will quit this network if I am at, if I am ever asked to cover that. I tolerated Donkey Kong. I'll tell you what that was the equivalent of of me putting a gun in my mouth and having to listen to that. Like what? It's it's like incredibly. He, so he he was never in on video games, Apparently regardless not. of yeah. broadcast or not. Yeah, he. Are we talking original Donkey Kong? I don't know. Like maybe with the barrels and Jumpman. Yeah, because like, he he saw Donkey Kong, you know, thirty years ago in you know nineteen eighties Australia, wherever he found it, <laughs> and in the wasteland, he, he was he was like hard pass. Yeah, I'm not. That's fine. And he has not interacted with video games after that. No, apparently not at all. And what I think is funny too is like this guy is this guy's not some like jock that was a professional athlete that went into like sports casting. He's been a professional sports journalist his whole life, which makes him just a different category of nerd. Which is almost why I kind of understand uh, like why he's sounding off like this because it's it just like reeks of like to me it just smacks of. Uh, like nerd insecurity. It's like I'm like I'm not a nerd. Those guys are nerds. Yeah. Now let me talk about sports statistics yeah. for the next two hours. Like, sorry, man, you're also a big fucking nerd, and that's cool. I think that it's like I love sports statistics, and I think that it's a really interesting sort of field to talk about. But when you're getting up in arms about esports uh, because you think that they're not cool enough to join your club. Like, that just seems to me like some ridiculous insecurity. Like, I don't know. Like, that's just no, I, I my agree. kind of take. I, I think that it's really weird. Because, like, I would I would almost be more understanding of the ignorance if it was, like, uh, I don't know, Michael Strahan or something. Like, a former NFL player or something. that Like, his whole life. Because like, someone like that, their whole life was dedicated to playing a sport. That was all they did. Yeah. So I could understand a certain level of ignorance of not getting it. Uh, but this is a guy that's like, it's not that he doesn't get it. It's just that he, he thinks that they're like sub, like they're yeah. beneath. He, he's got a very thing. specific in vitriolic hatred yeah. of video games as a concept. And Clearly, as a culture. Like, or he, like, yeah, he's, he's got are, issues with video games very much outside of sports. Oh, broadcasting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He, he didn't move on past Donkey Kong. He's, everybody who plays a video game is a subhuman basement dweller in this guy's eyes. Exactly. But so it would be interesting to see like what sports that ESPN broadcasts is he cool with? Yeah. And oddly enough, like, actually, how, how does he feel about bowling? Uh, I believe he actually, um, in in a follow up to that, 
uh, re- referred to poker, saying that like there was a level of strategy and skill to it that he respected. Um, so I, it's there's a lot of like there's some there's definitely some conflicting that's, stuff that's there. That's fair. Like I mean, well, I, absolutely. But I think that if you're saying but that's about yeah, it's not poker specific then, to poker. Like, yeah. So uh, there there are entire wiki pages dedicated exclusively to Starcraft strategies. Oh my god, yeah. Like, it's crazy. I'm watching over the, like, because I've gone back sort of a couple of years. It's not like I've watched years worth of YouTube videos exactly, and I, or at least I won't admit to it on air. But, um, tournaments like two years ago in Starcraft look very different than they do now. Because the strategies just change over time. They just do things very differently. Someone will figure something out that works really well. Someone else will figure out a counter for it. Yeah. And then that strategy will kind of disappear for a while. And then someone will throw it out in the middle of a series two years later and it's surprisingly effective again because it still works. Yeah, it's just people weren't prepared for it. Yeah, like the metagame changes. The way that people understand each other's strategies and how they counter things changes over time. Yeah. It's very strategy-based. As difficult as it is physically to tap that many keys and click your mouse that much which I couldn't do. I couldn't even play a game where they opened it up and said click your mouse 300 yeah. times in the next minute and I would fail let alone actually do the strategy yeah exactly oh well, it's funny because that made me think of um, with the NFL there was a, like I mean there's like there's the West Coast offense for instance and that's a particular type of strategy um, but there was uh, there was one specific uh, one that the Miami Dolphins, the they popularized, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was basically a very abnormal um, strategy where you'd have like three running backs in the back line instead of like I think you didn't even have a quarterback. Like it was just you stacked it with like runners at the back, um, and I can't remember what that what that uh, like that formation is called, but like it was very effective for a while, and it fell out of fashion because people kind of figured out yeah, how to counter. It. Figured out a counter, yeah. um, but you know it was a, it was. A, unique take and then they kind of they they you know like they did for a while was a few teams tried it and then they moved away from it um so yeah i mean there's a lot of parallels to, to actual sports and similarly there's like i i'd really like to see sort of more studies on on like say like the elite gaming athletes versus like the average player just to see like where the where the the difference are like the differences are from a, a sense of like attributes and what their uh, what their abilities are like the differences you know like for instance the actions per minute to me it's like you know it's the difference between the average person being able to, to throw maybe like a sixty mile an hour fastball to a professional like a high level uh, MLB pitcher who can throw one like in, like low like in nineties you know mm-hmm. so that's just like it's it's a physical ability te- like i mean it's partially technique it's partially physically you know like built up but it's just the difference between a professional and an amateur right um but yeah i i think that uh it's it's one of those things that it'll be interesting to see how it progresses over the, the next few years i'm also curious to see what kinds of games are going to emerge like as ones that people want to watch uh, Twitch TV has been a really interesting, like sort of uh, like new format because it's really allowed any kind of gaming to be broadcast and shared. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think that that's going to really open things up a lot because I think that there's like it's hard to say what the what people want to watch. Like I don't know, I, I have no idea what like what the market's going to dictate in a few years. Yeah, well, the just from viewership numbers based on that one tournament I watched in Poland, I know the StarCraft 2 numbers was, there was about just under 100,000 yeah. watching the final. And that was the least popular of the three. They also played Counter-Strike and uh, League of Legends then. Uh, but there was another, like there's all kinds of games that they're playing. Because there, there was an interesting article in Ars Technica this week about uh, the Super Smash Brothers scene. Yeah, and how there's kind of a schism in it because some people are playing the new one. I can't remember what it's called, the one on Wii U. But yeah. there's like still a large group of people that play Melee just because it was such a good game. Yeah, um, yeah which so, I think there was a similar thing with StarCraft Two and StarCraft. Yeah, there were still some people that played Brood War and and Counter Strike Go and Counter Strike One Point Six or whatever. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think 
the it's it's definitely I think it's safe to say that it's, it's like there's a legitimacy a legitimacy to it that yeah. I think that the old guard of, of say like sports broadcasting is is coming around to but slow some um, of them yeah exactly <laughs> some with, more than with some notable exceptions um, but I think it's really cool and and you are you planning on going to the um, the 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 event that's going to be coming here um yeah maybe. Cool, because I think it'd be a good idea for us to check it out. Because I think uh, geeky on we can kind of journalism. yeah, we can maybe uh, if we want to call it that, uh, and we can follow up and, and kind of talk about our, our experiences there and really get a better firsthand account. Yeah, it would be a great idea. Yeah, so look forward to that, listeners, as we uh, delve deep into the realms of esports. We're going deep. Yeah, going like mouse deep. Ugh. <laughs> All right, okay, um, but that's gonna. I think we're gonna wrap it up for uh, the episode with that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah. We so will... we're gonna punt on Game of Thrones for until next. Yep, we're gonna we're time. gonna talk about that next time. Uh, hopefully, Jenny will be back, but I know she is busy right now. She's uh, out of town working on a some sort of a cool movie or TV thing of some kind. Maybe she can talk about. It, maybe she can't. We'll find out. But either way, uh, until next time, we're. We're going to leave now. Goodbye.